So today's question about the messiness of life, of how does God love us through, isn't a question about if God loves us. This is a question about how does God love us in this complexity? What does that begin to look like? How do we begin to know that the love, this is of God, in the middle of the, the struggle, the things that we are just like, oh, could I get a break from it, those burdens? So often, life is messy. And sometimes it's because of the decisions we make. Sometimes it's because of the decisions of others. And sometimes it is just the situation and there is no one to blame. It is just the complexity of the moment. And so when we're thinking about those times when we've all experienced them somehow, maybe you are feeling it right now. You feel those burdens, you feel the challenges, and you're like, I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way is up. Is God even here in this moment? And if so, how? How do we begin to know how God is loving us through beyond just going, wait a minute, we're not abandoned. God always loves us. We cannot be separated from that love. How do we go a step further? How do we begin to notice and listen and experience God's love in the mess? So for today, we are going to look at Acts chapter 9. And this is considered the conversion story of Saul, who is also known as Paul. And Saul is the Hebrew form of the name. Paul is the Roman form of the name. And we just have here, so I may switch back and forth between the name of Saul and Paul, but just know they are the same person. And so here, Saul is, we got to know that he's a guy who is doing very destructive things. He is making very poor choices. Now, some hold him up because he's trying to hold a particular standard in Judaism that he understands, and he does not like the followers of Jesus. In fact, he hates the followers of Jesus to the point that he actually will hold the coats of those who stone Stephen because they don't like what he's saying, which seems really an overreaction to what's happening, an overreaction to, wait a minute, so they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about his life, death, resurrection, that God cannot die, that there is healing and encouragement, that we should all be sitting at the table together, encouraging one another, loving each other. You know, last week we talked a little bit about how that was destabilizing for some because they heard that as a threat against their power. And so people are threatened by this message of healing, of living a different way. And Paul is one of those guys. He is threatened by the way of Jesus. And so he has letters. He is going out and he is getting people arrested. He's trying to bring them back to Jerusalem. He is complicit in people dying all out of this fear. Saul is living at a time, an anxious time. And this is how he is handling 
these anxious times. So let us begin in this messiness that Saul has created. Starting in Acts 9, verses 1 through 4. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? So we get what Saul's up to. Spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus if he found persons who belonged to the way. At this point, the term Christian wasn't being used to talk about the followers of Jesus. They actually, they would often be referred to, besides disciple, of being referred to as belong to the way, because it was a way of living. It was a way of life. But he's going to the synagogues. So at this point in history, this new way, this way of living, following Jesus, was considered like a subset, like a, a in Christianity we would call it another denomination. There was a sense of, okay, well, this is still part of Judaism, but it's a different way, and we don't like it. Not everybody liked it. Some people didn't have an issue. Other people, like Paul, were just, they were ready to kill people. And so to think about that, to think about the state of mind that Saul is in, that he is so fearful, that he is living into this anxious time, and he is so focused on, he has got it right. This is the only way to understand God. This is the only way to interpret scripture. This is the only way to live, that he is willing to hurt other people. Now, for ourselves, that may not be the mess that we are in. But it, it does make us go, wait a minute, what in the world is happening? What, what are the decisions? What are the ways that we live that are so focused down in one way that we can't see anything else around us that actually begin to be problematic, that maybe even facilitate, make what we are living even more challenging? And so this is the state of mind that Saul is in when he hears this voice on the road to Damascus, he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? A question. A question. Why, Saul? Why are you harassing the people? Why are you so angry? Why are you so fearful? In some ways, this is a simple question, but this is a question that has a lot more to it. This question of saying, hold up, wait a second, why are you and for ourselves, what question is God asking us? What question, if Jesus was sitting right next to you today, would be going, so why are you? Because we all struggle. All of us struggle. None of us are perfect. 
And we struggle when life gets complicated, when we don't like the events and situations around us, when we don't like how things are going, it gets complicated real fast with the ways that we react, the ways that we internalize, the ways that we go about. And so here, this question of why are you harassing me? So for us, why are you struggling? Why are you feeling despair? Why are we angry? Why do we not like? All kinds of questions. So if Jesus was sitting next to you, what would be the question he would ask? He would ask you this day. Continuing on in verses 5 through 9, because we're about to get Saul's answer to that. Saul Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. Saul doesn't know what in the world's going on. He's got this question to him that really is challenging the way that he is reacting and engaging the world around him, the way that he feels inside, the way that he is expressing his beliefs, his priorities, his values onto others. He is experiencing this question, and his first thought is, who who are you? Fair question. A fair question is he tries to understand what in the world is going on. And here the voice reiterates, I am Jesus whom you are harassing. And now he has to deal with what he has done. This is a question, a question of going, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you are doing to other people? Do you realize what you are doing to yourself? Being so caught up in these fears, so being caught up in this anger, and this is the only way to understand life, that you are causing others pain. Notice what it isn't, though. It's not a pronouncement of judgment. It's not a pronouncement of how dare you, you no good, worthless creature. No. Instead, it's an invitation, a question that becomes an invitation to Saul to say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't have to be. Like the moment you start to be challenged by that question of why so, that that doesn't mean it has to be so. There can be this change, this transformation He's given these instructions, right? Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. There's a way forward, Saul. You don't have to continue down this path. You don't have to be filled with all of these things that keep you from experiencing peace and love, that keep you from experiencing healing. You are angry because people are being healed. Now think about that. And for ourselves the ways that we may struggle, the questions that may get asked of us. And sometimes we feel like 
Like there's no way forward. Like we don't know how the next step will go. And here from this story, we get a sense that there's always a way. There's always a way forward. We may not just understand it. And so Saul is on the ground and he needs help being picked up. And he can no longer see that metaphor of the realization that what he has done, he's starting to realize what he has done, the pain that he has caused, that he has been on a very destructive path and that there is a possibility for change, but he doesn't know yet how to do it. And so he needs the help of others. So others help and pick him up. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. That sense of, I don't know what in the world's going on, but I've got to get my life in a different direction. I've got to start getting my thinking. I've got to get my beliefs, my priorities, my values, the way that I am engaging with others. Because the path that each of us are on, like I said, none of us are perfect. All of us have challenges. And so are we on a path that we're like, oh man, this is great. This is the best thing ever. Or are we on a path where... I feel a little too much anxiety. I feel like this is not healthy. How often do we get that sense of, man, I think something needs to change, but we aren't sure what. And so here, to know that sometimes we need others to pick us up, to kind of help us to guide that we may be in that stressful moment of not being able to eat and drink and not fully understand, but that there are others to surround us, that we have not been abandoned, that God has not abandoned us, but also that sense of who are we surrounding ourselves with that kind of help us, guide us. Where do we seek wisdom for the change that is needed, for not only how to answer the questions that go, why are you so, why are you struggling with, but also as we decide, yes, that change needs to happen, that we're going to need others around us to help. Continuing on in verses 10 through 14, in Damascus there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he answered, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, go to Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he's done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. Here's, he's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. Ananias, he's the guy that's always trying to do the right thing. He's the guy that's like, okay, I am on this path this way of life. I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to understand what it means to love one another. I'm trying to be at peace. I'm trying to be filled with joy. 
And here he's asked to do something that is so uncomfortable because he's going to have to take a risk. Ananias is going to have to take a risk to go to Saul. And so he asks some questions, which it's really good to ask those questions. Not only does God ask questions of us to kind of help us get to think, to be, that Jesus was always asking questions, but here a follower of Jesus says, wait a minute, I don't understand because I know what this guy has been doing. This guy is not a good guy. He has been doing awful things to people. And so to say that I need to go to him, has he really changed? Because he might kill me. And so Ananias here is going to have to take something called a calculated risk. Not only does he get start questioning for clarification, but now he's also going to have to decide whether or not he is going to take a risk to come alongside Saul in the mess that Saul has created. And so maybe we're in a place where we don't, we feel like we're kind of figuring out how to navigate life, how to navigate those challenges, how to navigate those situations. Maybe we're like, okay, I'm trying to stay focused on love. I'm trying to stay focused on peace. I'm trying to stay focused on how to follow the life of Jesus, how to be that healing presence, how to encourage others. But here sometimes, sometimes we are actually called to walk alongside to be present with others who are still struggling, who are still struggling in the messiness of life. And here Ananias has got to make a decision. Ananias has got to figure out how to help because he's being called by God. That nudge, that sense, Maybe we haven't had it so clearly like Ananias, but have you ever had that nudge, that sense, you know what, I need to pick up the phone and call somebody. I need to make sure I say something too that is loving, encouraging. And here Ananias has that sense of, I need to go be with Saul. I know who he is, I know what he's done, but something different is happening here. Something, something different because God is present. God is creating. God is making the impossible possible. That somebody we would say impossible, they cannot change their life. They will never change. They are this. And here with God, it's like, well, with God actually, with God's presence in our lives, with us going, wait a minute, I need to change direction. I need to be following. I need to be listening for God. Like all of a sudden, those things that we thought were impossible become possible. And here Ananias is like, okay, I think I'm going to go this road with him. He's got to make this decision. And so sometimes for us, we are in the messiness and sometimes we are being called alongside others as they are navigating. Eight verses 15 through 18. The Lord replied, go, 
This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me. Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly flakes fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. The Lord said, no, 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 you got to go. It's, it's, I get it. You're asking questions. And yes, there are so many reasons why this is a risky situation, but you must go. And to think about what if Ananias had said no? Because it's always a choice to think about, well, okay, maybe God would have chosen somebody else to go to Saul. But if Saul hadn't become Paul, if that transformation hadn't taken place, much of what we've got in the New Testament wouldn't actually exist. All of that work that he did of going around and challenging people. Listen, he was like, this was the path I was on. In fact, he retells the story in Acts 22 of how this came about, this road to Damascus, this moment, how Ananias came to him, and yet he still struggled with the fact of the problems he had caused, with the pain he had he had facilitated upon others by how he held the coats. Paul is being faced with everything that he has done. And he has a choice. And to think Ananias has a choice too of whether or not he's going to come alongside, of whether or not he's going to be present. Because here's the thing, when we are in the messiness of life, we need others to surround us that are not toxic, but are healthy, are helping, are, will give us guidance if we're willing to listen. And here Saul is willing to listen to Ananias. He's willing to listen to what he has to say. And this verse, right? Instantly flakes fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. In this moment, he is like listening. He is trying to understand. He is, my life has got to change. I don't know how, but it's got to change. And Ananias shows up and is like, I've got you, man. And to think about that, of how we stand alongside, how we come alongside others who are struggling, who are struggling in life, and how we can be that encouragement of love, that healing encouragement of saying, yeah, I get it. Like, what you've done, yeah, that's some bad stuff right there. Like, that is some life-altering stuff, but there's another way of living. There's always another way. And so for ourselves, of being able to come alongside one another, to encourage, to be that healing presence, no matter who we think they are, and even to be challenged in ourselves of, that's impossible, is made possible with God. Now the part of that verse that maybe kind of went, whoo, what do we mean by that? I will show him how he must suffer for the sake of my name. It's an odd turn of phrase. But here's the thing. Paul is going to suffer from the things that he did in the past. 
And he's going to talk about that. Like I said, when he retells this story in Acts 22, he's going to mention holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And then he's going to talk about in 2 Corinthians the thorn in his side. We don't actually know what the thorn is, but it bothers him. Something fierce and keeps him humble. He feels like that thorn keeps him in check. He's also going to suffer in the way of watching others just be awful and mean, to be cruel to one another. And he's also going to suffer when he's imprisoned, he's under house arrest in Rome, he will be tried and murdered, ultimately by Nero, most likely we think. But he will, he will suffer. So in many ways, this decision of Saul's, of to listen to Ananias, of going, wait a minute, I have been on a destructive path. I have allowed anger and fear to control my lives. I have allowed these anxious times to create in me as a person who reacts in ways that just aren't helpful. Saul has to deal with the fact that he has been living so unhealthy and not the way of God. That he's going to need help in that change. He's going to need help from people like Ananias. He's going to need help. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking about that question of what would Jesus ask you if he was sitting right next to you today, of why so, why are you, what's the struggle, how are you feeling about, how we would answer that, and then how we would begin to turn to change, that we need one another in that, that we need uh, one another in making ourselves aware of how life can vibrate in ways where there is beauty instead of destabilizing fear of who we surround ourselves with that help point us in that direction. Finishing up, in verses 19 through 22. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach out Jesus in the synagogues. To preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, he declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other. Isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on this name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. With the help of Ananias... Saul is able to refocus his life. Saul is able to refocus and begin to drill down on, wait a minute, why was I so, why was I creating, why was I making those decisions that were so unhelpful to so many? He's, be, he's able to be focused upon, what do I need to really be doing? Not that his life necessarily gets easier, because there will be some suffering, 
but instead he will be focused on very different things. He's going to be focused more on that love, on that peace, on that joy, on being a healing presence, on being able to encourage others. What we see is that he becomes focused on changing his priorities, on changing his values, on changing the way that he interacts with others, on changing the way that his perspective is impacting other people's lives. And what we see from this encounter, not only does he hang out with Ananias, but now he stays a few more days with those in Damascus and he is able to learn, to listen, to find a new way of living and being, of, of being able to go, wait a minute, I need to be focused on, help me out here. He's surrounding himself with people who, who can be like, you know what, this is who Jesus was, is, and will be. This is how Jesus begins to impact our lives. This is how we begin to live a different way is when we come together as a community to encourage one another. And so this sense of who are we surrounding ourselves with in our lives? Are they the toxic? Are they the unhealthy? Or are they the encouraging who points us and may be challenging? It may get us out of our comfort zone. It may require us to take risks, but they point us in a way that is healthy and thriving, that vibrates with the life of beauty and not that fear and anger and worry and anxious and everything's falling apart. And how dare. Here we get to be reminded that not only did Jesus call to Saul, of say, hey Saul, why are you harassing me? Ask that question, right? That not only does Jesus keep calling to Saul, but keeps calling to all of us, keeps calling to all of the disciples, because we all struggle with something. We all struggle whether or not we are in the mess, creating the mess, or need to be alongside someone. I'm saying, wait a minute, there's another way to focus our time, our energy, our way of living and being in this world that is far more connected to God. Instead of connected to those things that burden us and pull us down, that keep us in the pit of despair. Here we get to see life beginning to thrive for Saul. We get to see him, right? It says, but Saul grew stronger and stronger after eating, he regained his strength. That sense of that as he surrounds himself with people who are encouraging, who are trying to show him a different way, who are like, yeah, let's go this road together. We're alongside you, Saul. If you want to change, if you're ready for transformation, if you are ready to go from, well, I'm trying to fix a problem to being transformed, then we're right there with you. And so here we get this sense that he grew stronger and stronger, that he didn't have it all figured out in that moment where all of a sudden he could see. But instead, it was a process, a process of growth that came into community with others that had him questioning, okay, what do I need to change? How am I going to do it? I've got to do something. Saul stopped making excuses for the way that he had been living and started choosing to live life in a way connected to God. So for ourselves, 
Are we just wanting a fix or are we wanting transformation? Are we ready to put aside all those things? You know what? We know the question now. We know the question that God is putting on our hearts. We know that question that kind of kind of gets at us of why is why am I struggling this day? Why do I feel so? Why am I so? Why do I keep reacting like we know the question and are we ready for the change? Are we ready to put aside? Are we ready to put aside the excuses, the comfort, the I could never and to surround ourselves with those who are ready to encourage and say, you can. Transformation is there because God keeps walking with us. God keeps going this road with us in all the different ways that we are in need of it. And so how might we be strengthened by this story today as Saul was strengthened then? How might we be strengthened in knowing that Part of God being in the mess with us is helping people to, uh, each of us to see that maybe sometimes we need a little help from someone else or we can be that help for someone. How can we be strengthened by a story that says, no, change really is possible. It really is. No matter what you have done, where you have been, who you think you are, change is possible with God. How might we allow this story to transform our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, the way that we are engaging with one another, our relationships, our families, our work? How might we allow this very story to become part of our own story? Because the whole thing about Paul is he is trying to clothe himself with the way of living of Christ, with that sense of every time he's... He takes a step every time he is moving forward. He is trying to stay focused on how the life of Jesus is impacting him, is impacting his decisions, impacting his words, changing his language and values and priorities this day. So that not only can he thrive, but others can thrive as well. Ananias, when he made that calculated decision, he may not have realized fully what he was doing. He may not have fully realized how Paul's life began to thrive that helped so many others, that has gone far past their lifespans. So how might we be strengthened this day so that we are transformed so that the story continues. Amen.